from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. The risk here is that we, we increase our social distance from other people. And if we've gotten to the point where it's acceptable to engage in this disgust and this anger, then we're no longer at that point where we can have these moments of radical empathy. So if I'm not willing to talk to somebody from a different political party, that can end up shaping my beliefs going forward. I might become even more set into them. Your beliefs and and any hope really for their beliefs. We've actually built a free app to do this called Magnify Your Voice, which allows people to take partisan neutral civic action in their communities. I'm Sarah Fenske. Where were you on January 6th? Many of us were glued to our screens as seemingly unthinkable events unfolded in Washington, D.C. All of us here today do not want to see our election victory stolen by emboldened radical left Democrats, which is what they're doing, and stolen by the fake news media. That's what they've done and what they're doing. We will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. You don't concede when there's theft involved. Oh, meanwhile, up on the steps of the backside of the Capitol, we're seeing protesters overcome the police. The police are now running back into the Capitol building. This is an NBC News special report. And breaking news tonight, the deadly siege on Congress as an angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol. We've seen shocking images of chaos, rioters rushing past barricades and police up the Capitol steps, forcing their way inside both the House and the Senate evacuated. Just told that there has been tear gas in the rotunda and we're being instructed uh, to each of us get a gas mask that are under our seats. We tore through the scaffolding through flashbangs and tear gas and blitzed our way in through all the chambers, just trying to get, get into Congress or whoever we could get into and tell them that we need some kind of investigation into this. And what ends up happening is someone might have ended up dead. And that's not the kind of government we can have. I call on President Trump to go on national television now to fulfill his oath and defend the Constitution and demand an end to this siege. We love you. You're very special. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated that are so bad and so evil. I know how you feel, but go home and go home in peace. Today was a dark day in the history of the United States Capitol. Vice President Pence reopens the Senate. Let's get back to work. And Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell makes a statement. The United States Senate will not be intimidated. We will not be kept out of this chamber by thugs, mobs, or threats. Now, Congress did get back to work, but the events of January 6, 2021 have only amplified a deep current of anger in America. And that anger has Betsy Sinclair alarmed. She is a professor of political science and the director of graduate studies in political science at Washington University. And she joins us today to talk about her recent research and her fears for America. Betsy Sinclair, welcome. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Betsy, your latest paper will be published in the Journal of Politics later this month. You drew on a wealth of data for it. How angry are Americans these days? Well, Americans are really angry. If we look at the cycle of anger going back the last decade, we see rising amounts of anger. And if you see the percentage of Americans who report they were angry just yesterday, it goes up and up. To the point where in the most recent election cycle, nearly 90% of Americans at some point found they were angry with the other political party. Hmm. So not just, I want these guys to lose, but like an actual current of, of anger. Yes. When we ask people to write for a moment about a time they were angry with the other political party, we find their words come to them quite quickly. And they can really think of specific instances where they've been made really palpably angry. And that moment, just thinking about anger, dramatically changes their behavior. So what's driving all this anger? I want to talk about how it's changing their behavior in just a moment. But but why are we seeing so much anger right now? Well, I, I, I hate to say this, but I think what we see is, is a world in which political campaigns are using anger as a strategy. So looking at that same trend of data... In the most recent measurement of data, excluding presidential campaigns, we're seeing about half of all political ads are engaging the emotion of anger. And fundamentally, that's because an angry voter is a loyal voter. And so engaging people's emotion of anger, it gets them to turn out to vote. It gets them to donate to campaigns. And it's a strategy political candidates are using to drive people to participate in politics. So people have figured out this worked. Is this something that they didn't know before? Or maybe they were just not willing to go to that dark side prior to what we're seeing now? I mean, I think it's been a slow and you know unfortunate turn that this has been an invention, campaigns have, have realized. The extent to which people feel angry in, uh, in op- towards opposite partisans is really stunning. So if you go way back to the 1960s and you were to say, well, how comfortable are you having your child date a member of the opposite party? You know, it's a handful of percentage of respondents are going to say four or five percent of people would say they feel uncomfortable with that. And you look now and it's the majority of Americans would feel uncomfortable with that. And so this dramatic shift that's been happening over time, I think it has been an invention of of campaigns that have realized as they've developed more and more strategies to mobilize voters and more systematically studying the strategies that work, we've seen anger become a recurring current in American political behavior. So you're talking about how people no longer are comfortable with their child marrying somebody who doesn't share their politics. What are some other ways that that anger manifests itself? Well... I mean, I think the the scope of political anger is is pretty stunning. Um, I mean, I, some of my favorite work in this space is really to to document the presence of political anger. Um, it's a book by Stephen Webster called American Rage, um, where he really documents how elites have these really strong incentives to make us angry. And every election cycle, people are angry again. And what we've seen is this consequence of anger um, is really that now partisan discrimination is going to even exceed racial discrimination. And so if you look at how people evaluate resumes of cross-partisans or when they take these implicit bias tests against cross-partisans, they begin to systematically discriminate against cross-partisans more even than they do by race. So some people might say, okay, like that's fine. People choose their politics. They don't choose their skin color. They should bear the consequences of who they support. What would you say to that? 
Well, I think we live in a world where fortunately people are not actively encouraged to discriminate based upon race or gender, and that's not true for partisan identities. And I think the problem is that um, anger is actually pretty clearly harming democracy. And it's because these moments of debate and compromise are actually central to sustaining some kind of participatory democracy. So even though we might not like someone, what someone says, these moments of sincere conversation and engagement are really central to the political process. So there's an incredible body of research to document that participating in conversation moderates people's political viewpoints. And if we've gotten to the point where it's acceptable to engage in this disgust and this anger, then we're no longer at that point where we can have these moments of radical empathy and meaningfully engage with others. So and, if and so I'm, it leaves us in this really dark moment for American futures. So if I'm not willing to talk to somebody from a different political party, that can end up shaping my beliefs going forward. I might become even more set into them. Your beliefs and, and any hope really for their beliefs. I mean, I think one of my, my favorite uh, research papers is one by Brookman and Kala, where they ask people to go to a, a person's door and speak for 10 minutes who has very different viewpoints than their own. And they open the conversation with thinking about a time when that other person was treated differently. And it opens the door for a really different kind of conversation. And I think, what an interesting thing to think about, like to, ha to encourage people to have conversations about how they think differently, as opposed to walk away in these moments of anger and disgust, which is really what our society has been encouraging us to do. You write in this this paper, quote, understanding whether and how political anger affects apolitical social behavior is not merely an intellectual curiosity. On the contrary, understanding the full effects of anger in the contemporary era, era could not be more important. You kind of feel like this gets at the heart of the future of our country here. Yes, absolutely. So anger about let me say one thing here, because I think this is important to think about when we talk about what is the value of research. So this is innovative work within the academic community to think about how anger about politics affects behavior in apolitical settings. And so it has an academic reach. But I think it's also important to think about why we do this research, and it's a way for ordinary Americans to better understand their effects of their exposures to politics and what happens when they're exposed to angry politics, and then to do something about it. So I want to talk about what we can do about that in just a moment. But first, I want to I want to take a call here. We have a caller that's interested in joining this conversation. Let's go to Ben. Um, he's calling from the Tower Grove area. Uh, ben, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Hi. How are you? Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Uh, uh, what are your thoughts sure. on this? Um, well, I know you haven't explicitly uh, made reference to the left and the right in this country, uh, but I. Uh, but, but what I'm hearing is an implied false equivalency, um, because uh, people on the left, uh, un unless I uh, unless I didn't uh, wasn't aware of it, they haven't tried to storm the Capitol. So you and feel that that you're right to be angry at the other side? Is that what you're saying, Ben? What? Well, basically, what I'm saying is you're making a false equivalency between. Um, uh, you're making a false equivalency between those two groups. I mean, you're implying that. Like I say, you haven't explicitly um, named the left and the right. But to say, uh, you know, when you talk about anger, that the, you know, the anger I'm more concerned about is is, is not um, people being annoyed that the other political side voted for um, one candidate or another. The anger I'm talking about is the kind of anger that, anger that 
that could destroy the democracy we're in. And that kind of anger was displayed by people on the right who tried to... Um, on, on, on January 6th. So, Ben, yeah, I, I can see your point on this. Betsy, what would you say to that? Well, Ben, I would say that you're right to be concerned about violence. And I am by no way um, like justifying any moments of political violence. I think it's really important to think about what this research is explicitly saying, which is that when people are angry, for example, when you listen to the clip that we just heard about the, the Capitol riot, it, it makes me feel angry. Um, and I think at that moment, the risk here is that we, we increase our social distance from other people. And so what my research is going to say is after that moment of anger, you're going to be less likely to be engaged in your neighborhood. If your neighbors are cross-partisans, you're going to be less likely to take care of their house when they're on vacation or um, water their plants or um, really take care of them and even to socialize with members of your family. And I think those are these moments where we need those moments of engagement. And so we need to do something to repair these social fabrics. I think that the anger is understandable. And I think the ways in which this research is really helpful is for us to think about the ways in which our anger is being manipulated. Hmm. Ben, thank you for that um, for that call and for that point. We also got a tweet from Sir Eddie C. who says, we've reached a point of no return. There is no civil debate slash discourse to be had anymore because fundamentally the issues at hand are not civil ones. People brought Confederate flags to the Capitol with intent of overthrowing the government. There's, uh, no dis- there's discussion to be had. Um, so this is definitely a sense of, of some on the left saying, hey, we can't even engage with these people on the right. Betsy, you have a different take on this. And we just have maybe three minutes left here. I want to make sure that we get to some of what you're calling for here. What would you like people to, to take from this moment? What, what needs to change here? Well, I, 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 a key component of my research has been to argue that the antidote to anger is to take action. And I keep thinking, on the anniversary of the Capitol riot, what if we each made a commitment to some kind of civic action so that you could register to vote? You can report a pothole to your city. You can stock a local food bank. There are a lot of things that we can do to take simple actions to actually repair the social fabric that has been caused by so much anger. It is also the case that there is this very famous quote in American politics by V.O. Keith that says, voters are not fools. And I would like people to be able to use research like mine to change their behavior so they can change the channel when it makes them angry and take action. The democracy is ours. And I think that we can take action within our local communities to make them better. So, so I think what I would say is the, the greatest thing we can do on the anniversary of the Capitol riot is to build civic capacity. So I, I'm hearing from a number of people right now on our phone lines and on social media that they don't even want to repair that social fabric. They're saying, Let, let's cut the other side loose. Why is this important to you that this is something that we do, even when maybe it's not our first instinct? I think because if we continue on this trajectory, we continue to lose these democratic norms. And I think the realization that whether it's the media or campaigns have been portraying so much anger we lose sight of the fact that it's our local communities that sustain us and that really build resilience in the face of these pandemics. 
It's the local restaurant love that you just talked about in your previous segment. It's all these things to build civic capacity that take care of us and let us actually have a democracy. And so I think it's our responsibility to do something about it now. It's interesting. There's so much going on nationally, so much anger on these international social media platforms and national politicians trying to stir things up. And and you're talking about um, more the thing that, that's right next door. Do you think if we can keep our focus maybe on that as opposed to this faceless person who's shouting at us online, that's a good beginning? Yes. We've actually built a free app to do this called Magnify Your Voice, which allows people to take partisan neutral civic action in their communities. And there are lots of nonprofits that are engaged around the country and doing really simple things. And I think about all the teachers who went to work this week and who are, you know, being so brave and taking care of kids. Seems like a really great action to value democratic norms would be to say thank you. And I think there are a lot of little things that we can do that are really going to serve as that antidote to anger. Um, It doesn't have to be more eyeballs on a screen, and it doesn't have to be more ads that, you know, get sold on Facebook. It can really be things that, you know, close your computer, close your phone, and go see if there's something you can do to take care of one of your neighbors this week. Well, Betsy Sinclair, that's the perfect note to end on. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. This episode was produced by Kayla Drake with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.